Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. So you guys have been watching the news. Um, you know about Israel and some of the things that are happening. There's been an attack by the Hamas, and they're now kind of in a state of war. Um, Kara and I actually were supposed to go to Israel for two weeks in November, and that's right now it's up in the air. If the trip was happening tomorrow, it would be postponed, we were told. Um, so we're just going to start by, by praying for, for Israel. And our, our stance on... You know, a lot of people, if you're interested in this type of thing, you might want to know what our stance is with Israel. We, we pray for the peace of Israel, the salvation of Israel, and we pray for the salvation of all people. So uh, we're going we're gonna to pray along those lines before we jump in, and then we'll get back into James. Father, it's, it's heart-wrenching to see the destructive and devastating effects of war when it touches any culture, any nation, any people group. And we know that you, Lord, we are part of the extended covenant family of Israel as um, people who have, by your grace, also inherited an entry, an entryway into the kingdom through Jesus. And so we are, we are grateful for the ways that you have grafted us into your kingdom through your chosen people, Israel, and that we get to be a part of your extended chosen people as well now. And so we do pray for peace, the peace in Israel. We pray that um, you would be guarding and protecting them, that you would be constraining evil. We pray for the salvation of people in Israel who don't yet see you as their king, Messiah. We pray for the salvation of all of their enemies at the heart of our belief is a man dying on a, on a cross for his enemies. And so you came for salvation for all, all people groups. And so we pray that somehow in this devastation, in this in the suffering that is happening, in the, the tension and the conflict that's been there, it seems like forever, from the very beginning. I pray that you would be glorified and that you would be drawing people to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going through the book of James. James 3, 5, and 6 is what we're going to be in today. I was with a friend this week and he was talking about, okay, I'm not... I'm not saying you should go watch the show, but it is hilarious. It is true. He's talking about South Park, and he was saying that South Park is an equal opportunity offender, and it, it goes after everybody. And um, James is kind of the, the godly version of South Park, <laughs> because James goes after everyone. If, if you have not been convicted yet, as we're going through the book of James, just wait. Because each of us get our opportunity. So it's a real hoot to preach. It's a real joy to preach through this, knowing that any given Sunday, somebody's going to be angry at the messenger. So having said that, we're talking about our speech right now. We're talking about the tongue. We're talking about the ways that our speech is so powerful. 
Um, and last week, we, we just touched on the fact that it's inordinately powerful. It's a small part of our body, but it wields great power because it gives us the capacity to, to put words out there. And words are a very powerful thing. That was the point of last week. This week, we're going to talk about how it has great destructive power specifically. James actually compares it to a fire. Something, you know, a word is like something that you can put out there, a sentence or something that you say that's destructive. You can put it out there and release it and just watch it spread like wildfire and you can't take it back. Once it's gone, it's very difficult to stop, like rumors, malicious rumors, things like that. It's very difficult to stop. And we live in a world that is primed for that type of wildfire uh, with social media, um, with all of the things that we could be complaining about or dividing ourselves with uh, on a global scale it's so easy to, it's, it's ripe today for us to do a lot of damage with our speech. I remember watching the news at the very beginning of January. It's the very beginning of January 2020. And we were seeing unprecedented wildfires in Australia. I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was really, really bad. And it was, every channel was talking, the very beginning of January 2020. And I just remember watching the news and reading the news online and just thinking, man, this is historical. 2020 is going to be known as the year of the Australian wildfires. I mean, this is really crazy. And other things happened that became more important on a global scale than the Australian wildfires, but they really were unprecedented. Uh, they were on the tail end of a three-year drought, which had primed Australia for such a uh, destructive wildfire. 2019 was the hottest and driest year ever recorded in Australia. So the environment was primed for this. Entire forests of eucalyptus trees were just gone. And this is crazy. Three billion, with a B, three billion animals were displaced or killed by the wildfires in Australia. And James compares the tongue to fire. And he says it's able to burn down an entire life. You can burn your entire life down with things that you say. So let's jump into it. Now I'm trying, these, I'm trying to do slides again and it's going to be a little clunky for the first couple of years of me trying to do this because it takes me a really long time to figure things out. So there's going to be mistakes. So just be nice. James 3, 5, and 6. You can also open up your scripture if you have your word with you, which we um, encourage you to bring your Bible and, and read from there as well. And also, in the back, everybody look back at the very back. Uh, there's, there were 24 three-ring binders back there. Thank you, Bree Titchener. She's wonderful, and she's a, a great artist. So she made like a, a cover page for this series. There's 24 binders. There's going to be a lot more where that came from. But for the first 24 people that want a binder, you can grab one after service. And there's also a hole punch. You can put three... You can punch three holes and put it in the binder, and we're doing it on a little bit nicer paper because we want you to begin saving these sermon notes to begin working on personal ministry. Um, that's one of our highest values as, as, 
as the shepherd team is working on our membership process, personal ministry is huge. So we want to begin giving you tools to be able to walk through things that we teach about on Sunday mornings with other people and disciple other people. Now, I know we started halfway through James. It's okay. We can't do everything right. But you can at least have the second half of James, and we'll make sure those notes for the first half are available as well. So first 24 people, you have to wait till after service. They're in the back. Let's read. James 3, 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Ooh, man, that's, that's a wild statement, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Entire course of life. This is a technical statement in Greek that Paul was using. And it actually, the literal translation is wheel of life or wheel of existence. Or James, I'm sorry, did I say Paul? We're in James, okay? We're in James. Um, James used this because it was a philosophy, it was something that was familiar in a philosophy of that time, the wheel of existence or the wheel of life, and what it meant was you and everyone around you, everyone that your life touches. So what James is saying is it's able, your words today, you could say something today that would start your life on fire and that would start on fire everyone around you's life, everyone that cares for you, everyone that you come in contact with, everyone in your circle of influence. You could start a fire not only in your life, but in their life as well. That's how dangerous speech is. That has the, that's the power and the potential of the tongue. So here's your first fill in the blanks. An impulsive tongue is an injurious tongue. I worked hard to find another I for the second one. So it's a little bit of an odd word, but injurious. It just means it's able to do damage to other people. An impulsive tongue is an injurious tongue. An impulsive tongue injures other people. So what's impulsive? Impulsive is saying whatever comes to mind without considering its appropriateness. It's just saying what comes to mind having no governor on your speech. One thing about me, you're always going to know what's on my mind. That's not good. That's not something to brag about. Maturity is learning how to govern what you say. It's becoming the type of person that can be trusted with the power of speech. It's not injuring people with our words. It's not burning down our lives or the lives of those around us with our words. So today I, I want to give you three practical ways that we do that. But as we get into this list, I want, you to, I want you to see it as like a powerful MRI scan. You know those MRI tubes that you go in and they, I would be so claustrophobic in those tubes, but they put you in those tubes and you can't, you can't move and it's taking pictures of all the your internal organs and skeleton structure and, and ligaments and blood vessels, and it, it takes pictures of these things, but you have to sit very still. I want you to see this list as a powerful MRI scan 
that is able to show you where your heart is a little bit off. Because what we say comes out of our heart. So if you resonate with one of these things, and all of us will resonate with at least one of these things, I want you to begin to think about what is this saying about my heart? Don't see it as a checklist of things that you just start trying to work on. Go to the heart. What is this teaching you about your heart? With that in mind, three ways that we injure others with our words. The first one, again, I was looking for a G, you'll see why. Gratuitousness. Gratuitousness. Gratuitousness in your notes is saying something that's not called for by the circumstances, not necessary, appropriate, or justified. It's just like, eh, didn't need to say that. Do you guys have like um, people at work maybe or people at school, whenever you're around them, you're just like bracing yourself like, oh, what are they gonna, they're going to say something awkward and they don't even realize it. Everyone else realizes it, but they don't realize it. That's gratuitousness. And there's three ways that we do this. The first one is slander. So slander is when you recruit other people to think negatively about someone who's not present. So slander is trying to influence other people around you by, you know, banging on somebody that's not there. And it could be justified, it could be true, but it's still, spiritually speaking, it's still slander. Sexualization is saying crude things, you know, just to get a laugh. It's um, coarse joking and things like that. It's dehumanizing. Uh, it's, it makes objects out of people. Um, Ephesians 5, 4 says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. In other words, in Ephesians, Paul's saying... It's just not becoming of a disciple of Jesus to speak that way. Uh, it's, just, it, it's just not Christ-like. You know, you're, you're taking someone who is made in the image of God and you are objectifying them in a very unloving, unloving way. Uh, and the third one is stingers. This is, you guys all know this, it's friendly fire. It's backhanded words spoken to or about friends in order to intentionally inflict harm. Um, a lot of times we, we say stingers to friends because we think things are going too well for them, you know? We think that, like, they're too happy or they're doing really well in some areas and Christians have this perverted sense of it's our responsibility when someone starts to, to spread their wings is our responsibility is to clip their wings and keep them grounded, and it's, it's demonic. You know, it's like your friend's excited about a, a new habit they're starting. And they're sharing it with you. And you just give a stinger like, well, we'll see how long this one lasts. <laughs> Thanks for the support. Appreciate it. It's just a stinger, you know. It's a, it's a dig. It's anything that we say that is meant to make someone smaller. The effect that we should have as disciples of Jesus is people become lighter around us. People feel safe to approach us. This is Christ-likeness. This isn't religiosity. Religiosity is you're hard to approach, you're grumpy, you're, um, 
you know, you're just not open to loving and caring for people, and you, so you keep people at a distance with these stingers. The effect we should have around people's disciples of Jesus is that they become more and more free to be themselves. They know we're rooting for them. We don't see it as our job to take them down a notch. We love it when we see them gaining their freedom and power and getting their footing in Christ. Uh, we refrain from these stingers. All right, these are all unthoughtful, unloving, gratuitous ways that we speak to one another. Let's look at another way we start fires in our own lives and one another's lives. Second one is gossiping. Gossiping. It's news about others that scratches a conversational itch that is shared without regard for the good of the person you are speaking about. That's a lot. It's in your notes. Gossiping is news about others that scratches a conversational itch that is shared without regard for the good of the person you are speaking about. That's a tough one. Uh, here's, here's one way that you can determine if the next thing said might be gossip. Did you hear about? The next thing said might be gossip, probably will be gossip. Gossip gives us an illusion of power because it's a way of having special insight that you can share with other people. Gossip inflames drama. Uh, Proverbs 16, 28 says, A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. It is a perversion to want to stir up drama. Now, people don't necessarily gossip because they're malicious. Sometimes they gossip because they're bored. In a family system therapy, when you're counseling a couple, and this is, you know, they gossip a lot with each other. One of the reasons they do that is because they're bored in their relationship. They don't have a depth of intimacy in their conversation. They don't have things to talk about that's interesting that they're working on together. So they borrow a little spice and drama by talking about other people. Now, in, the, in the same way, if a couple turns on a person or another couple or another community, and it's, they kind of pit themselves against that person, that family, or that community, it's often because that couple has unresolved tension that they're afraid to approach that's unspoken maybe for years, maybe for decades. And so instead of dealing with this tension, they're going to turn and face somebody else they don't like and just both be side by side, not like, liking that person or that couple or that family or that community. Gossip spices things up. It's a cheap, easy way to make conversation interesting. There's better ways of doing it. All right. So we've got two ways of speaking that injures others, two ways of starting fires, gratuitousness and gossiping, and the last one, does anyone want to guess? It's a G. Don't put it up yet. It's a G. The definition is a habitual pattern of complaining. Wait, wait, griping? Is that what you said? You're so good. I wish I would have said that. 
Grumbling, yeah, grumbling, but you can write griping if you want, but grumbling's better. Grumbling, a habitual pattern of complaining. Grumbling is selfish because it dampens the atmosphere for everybody else. Grumbling is putting words out there without regard for their effects on people around you. It's self-absorbed, it's, it's a self-focused character deficiency. Grumbling is not an issue of circumstance. It's an issue of character. And the reason why I say that is because the way that we do anything is the way that we do everything. So if you can find something to complain about this circumstance, you can find something to complain about every circumstance. Being a grumbler is a sinful deficiency of character that we need to mature out of. Uh, Numbers 14, 26, and 27. Uh, I'll read this to you. If, if you don't have the sermon notes, you can just listen. If you have the notes, they're in your notes. This addresses grumbling with um, the, in the, when God had rescued this people, his people out of slavery, and he was leading them through the wilderness. This is, and he was using Moses to lead them. This is an instance of uh, grumbling. Numbers 14, 26, and 27. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I've heard the, the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. He used it three times in that sentence. Grumbling, not a good thing. It, it is frustrating, apparently, to God when we grumble. Uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, 9 through 11 points back to the example of the grumbling of the Israelites and the punishment that they received because of that punishment as an example for the church today. He's pointing back to them and saying, this was recorded for our example. We should pay attention to this. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 9 through 11. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So he's like, look at what happened to the grumblers. Incessant finding the thing that's wrong in every situation. There's two types of people in this. You can, you know, there's people that find everything right in the situation or there's people that find everything wrong in the situation. It's a character issue. And Paul again in Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So there it is. Three ways that we injure others with our words. Ways that we set fire to our lives and to the lives of people around us with our speech. Now, what gives these things their destructive power? Because, you know, on our, on our own, these are just kind of sinful, sin nature tendencies that we have as human beings. 
We all do these different things at different times. Every one of us was offended at some point by something I said, including me, because it's human nature. It's part of our sin nature, right? What makes it so powerful? What takes a word and energizes its destructive force in the world? James 3, 6 tells us. It's right there. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The arsonist who goes to the little spark that is a word and throws gasoline on it and makes it more powerful, more destructive, makes it go further than you intended it to, makes people read into it more than you intended them to. The arsonist behind this fire is Satan himself. It's Satan. Our sin nature is already there. We're already willing to say things like this, but Satan will take it to a whole other level. And once you give him this fodder for the fire, you can't stop him. It's already been unleashed. So, where do we get the power to change? There's another place in Scripture where the tongue is described as a type of fire. If Satan unleashes the destructive power, who is it that unleashes the life-giving power? Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, this is the disciples after Jesus had been resurrected, he'd been raised up into the heavens, they watched him being raised into the heavens, so they know that he was alive, but he's no longer on earth with them. They're all together praying in a room. They're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit who would give them power to become Christ-like and to do his mission. They're waiting and praying. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Satan takes the words you say. He takes the tongue and he uses it as an instrument of destruction. God gives you a new speech pattern. A new type of power that was represented visually as the tongue. That's fascinating. That's interesting. One of the most powerful things that we can do is speak. And God wants to transform us from using the, our speech in our tongue in destructive ways and give it a different type of power. To put the Holy Spirit's energy and force and presence behind what we say. And as these tongues of fire rested on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, their speech patterns 
changed. Don't miss this. This is really, really important. Their speech patterns changed because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't do this on your own. I can't change this on my own. There's no habit that we can begin. We can't have, again, that little rubber band that we just snap our hand whenever we say something we shouldn't when we grumble. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's too powerful otherwise. The Spirit of God will come on you and change the way you speak. We see this again in Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. I'll read that. The same relationship between the filling of the Holy Spirit and our words. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Paul's not mad at you for having a glass or two of wine. Paul's not mad at you for having a beer. That's ridiculous revisionist history to say that they, the Bible's against that. That's just wrong. What's worse, prohibiting what the Bible allows or allowing what the Bible prohibits? They're both from the pit of hell because they both make you the judge instead of God. Arrogance. You are allowed having a beer or two. What's wrong is for you to have an excess to where you are no longer in control of your thoughts, your words, the guard is down. The spiritual governor that's helping you speak words that are helpful and loving. The spiritual governor that is restricting and constraining your impulses to sin. When that has been dampened and destroyed through alcohol, you now are in a world of debauchery. You have no governor. You'll do whatever you want. When it weakens your inhibitions, that's when it gets wrong. So what happens to our speech? when your inhibitions are weakened. The same thing. You start speaking impulsively, which ends up injuring yourself and others. So do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, changing your speech patterns, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, your speech comes out of a new heart that's delighting in God, that's resting in God, that's rejoicing in God. That's where your speech comes out, a heart that is made alive in Christ, a heart that, a heart that is just continually reminded of God's goodness through Scripture, continually exercising, speaking to Him in prayer, and as we speak to Him, receiving grace, we become different. We begin to receive the joy of the Lord, which becomes a new strength for our communication. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In Romans, when we see the fall came and the results of sins, one of the first things to go was what? Gratitude. One of the highest levels of spiritual Christ-like living is a grateful heart, the opposite of that is a grumbling heart singing and making melody to the lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything in case you didn't understand always giving thanks always and for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ submitting to one another out of reverence for christ there is a direct correlation between growing in spiritually empowered living through 
constant filling with the Spirit and growing in maturity with the things that you say, the ways that you speak. The more we are filled with God's Spirit, the more constrained we are, the more helpful we are with our speech, the more we're speaking out of joyfulness and gratitude. Finally, how can I partner with God to change in this area? So God will do the work. One thing you can do is become aware of your tendency and confess it to God and others. You know, just um, you could ask somebody, which one of these three things am I most prone to? I promise I won't get mad. Or if I do get mad, I'll go on a long walk and so I'm not mad anymore. But if you're, you could ask your spouse if you're married. You could ask a really good friend if you're single. If you could, you could ask your sibling. You could ask someone at work. You could ask your boss. Which one of these three ways do you struggle with most? Now, some of you don't need to ask anybody because the Spirit made it apparent. But being aware of it is the first thing. The second, then, is practice prayerful silence when tempted to speak this way. Prayerful silence. So it's not just not saying it when you feel like saying it. It's doing it prayerfully. One, one thing that has helped me tremendously is when in any way that I'm tempted to sin, when I am trying to rein in that impulse and deny myself, if I add scripture to it that I've memorized or that I'm like carrying around in my pocket, and if I pray that, there's a little bit extra burst of power to constrain that type of sin. Because when you pray a certain scripture that speaks to the thing that you're trying to constrain in sin, the Spirit himself gets involved. He gives you a capacity that you wouldn't have if you were just trying not to say it in your own power. So that's what I would encourage you to do if, like me, you've discovered one or two things that maybe you need to address. How can I partner with God to change in this area? Become aware of your tendency. Confess it to God and others. Confess, agree with God that this, is, this grieves his heart when you do this. Agree with God that it hurts others when you do this. Agree with God that it hurts you when you do this. And then practice prayerful silence when tempted to speak this way. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.